So uh, episode 10, we hit double digits. Uh, I know it's a big milestone in people's lives. You know, you first you get the one digit from zero to one, then you get double digits, and then triple digits is really tough to get, so there's a big gap there. But uh, um, it's my understanding that uh, you're adding at least one digit tomorrow, so happy birthday. Um, Thank you, my friend. Thank you. So, yeah, have any big plans for uh, – yeah, you know, I, I mean it's great that well it's Saturday for you now, so it's going to be on a Sunday, but nothing's going on. So you got any big plans for a Sunday? Yeah, Sunday, a Sunday birthday has to be in Australia. Has to be a barbecue, but we're doing it a bit differently. Is I like curry. Long, long mm-hmm. stories. You know, on this podcast, we tell a lot of long, long stories. Long, long story. Long time ago. I was sitting at home with Professor David Pine. I was living with David in Canberra. And we're both working in swimming. And uh, we said to each other, why haven't we got girlfriends? And uh, he said, well, look at us. Yeah, we've got no money, no style, no class. Uh, we've got nothing. And so we set about as a deliberate ploy to try and get dates to learn how to cook. And the first thing I learned how to do was curries. And tomorrow, I... On my birthday, I love to cook. So I'm doing a fish curry and I'm doing a lamb curry. A great friend of mine, Brian, we're going to his place and he's doing, believe it or not, a goat curry and oh, wow. uh, a butter chicken. And then my kids will all bring in things like uh, flatbread. So, and they bring in papadams and Indian. And so we'll have about 20 people sitting around a large table, all sharing a big Indian feast out in the sunshine uh, with some uh some alcohol i would think but drunken very responsibly of course and uh, we'll just have a party and listen to a bit of football in the background so yeah it's going to be great that sounds like an amazing day well uh happy birthday and and have a great time and uh be careful but i wish uh, you were here have a, yeah oh my gosh i uh, <laughs> without a doubt that would be a, a, a great time for sure um so you know, this week is <laughs> the 10 things I wish I knew, uh, uh, you know, when I got started or 10 things um, I wish I knew when I got started. Top 10 things that can help you be an outstanding swim coach. Um, I like to tell people when I uh, am giving lessons that if I knew then what I know now, I would have been a good swimmer. <laughs> and, you know, so it was by, by sheer luck and force of will. Uh, you know, we get through some of these things, but there's so much, so many things that, uh, you know, I wish I knew way back when. Um, but it's kind of why we do what we do is because we want to share our mistakes, our, you know, things that we wish we knew, and to really impart that on young swimmers. And, you know, and I just had a lesson with a master swimmer. Um, and the the idea is that, you know, we have, we have one shot at this thing, this thing, life. And, and if you're a young athlete, you got one shot at a real career. Um, you know, your athletic career is going to be short. And so, man, knowledge is power in, in so many ways. So, um, yeah. So I, I loved, I loved your first one, uh, which is learn how to build relationships with humans, stopwatches, heart rate monitors, and pace clocks are only tools People are everything. Well, it, it's the nature of this game, isn't it? That if you ask people, tell me a story about your swimming, you go, well, there was a time when me and John were so immediately our memories and our recollections, our connection with this sport is our connections with other people. That even though you'll, you'll end up talking, well, you know, I did a 115 or we did 4100s and it was a Saturday morning, those stories start to come out. But it's always about, well, we were away at, I meet and Tracy and I went up where, and it was so funny that, you know, this sport, like so many sports, are a combination of personal experiences, good times, dealing with hard times together, helping each other through a bit of a, a bit of a mess at a meet, all those things. That's what really makes it. And I think when you're a young coach, you know, we talk about this progression from you become a what coach where all you care about is, what do I need to do? What equipment do I need? What drills will I do today? If you advance a little bit and you've been it for a while, you go, yeah, well, how do I do those things? How do I make it work? How do I use it to its, its greatest effect? If you've been in it for a long time, you start going, well, why did we do that? Why are we doing this? Is there a better way? Could I go off and try this then? 
Why do we have to warm up that way? Why haven't we tried? You start to become an inquisitive, questioning coach and you ask questions about it. And what I see, unfortunately, is so many coaches get stuck on what is that throughout their career, they they get a high level of success, but they're stuck on all the how many sets, how many reps, how many repeats, what size fins, all those things. They're missing the real beauty of what we do, which is those wonderful moments and incredible relationships we build. Without a doubt. And it's a, it's a strange time in the sport uh, as well. You know, the, the pro athletes that train with the non-pro athletes, the, um, their outlook is very, very different a lot of times. It's not necessarily about the team because they're making a living. And, um, you know, there's pros and cons, you know, not to use the word pro again, <laughs> on, on mixing everybody together because, uh, you know, the team is going to support everybody, whereas the pro wants everybody to support them. Um, so as a coach, um, you know, having both of those units uh, together, you have to really understand the humans, um, you know, because it, it doesn't matter how good somebody is. These things are not machines and um, they still need the motivation and the inspiration. You know, we talked the last time about AI and how uh, AI can uh, can do a lot of things uh, that are repetitive natures sort of things. Um, but you know, that human interaction is going to take a long time for the computers to take over. And so um, the, the building relationships with humans, finding out what their motivation is, finding out what, what makes them tick, and then finding what is the best training philosophy, what is the best way to get them to race. Um, I, I think that's the beauty of coaching. Uh, it's that you have to find that special thing for every person that's in front of you. Um, if you're if you're a, a real coach, you know something about every one of those people in your group, and it's a very intimate sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably the most important. Glenn, do you think that do you think you can fast track that? Because I got asked a question a, a few weeks ago by a, a national swimming body. They said if you were going to design a level one, a basic training course, how would you do it? And I said, now knowing what I know now. I do a day and a half or two days of understanding your why, understanding motivation, understanding psychological and emotional development, understand how to build relationships. I'd do all that. And then I'd give them a year's worth of workouts. I wouldn't even bother. I'd give them that. I'd give them access to your, your programs so they can see drills and skills when they need it. I'd spend two days teaching them how to coach and I'd teach them all about this stuff because all the other stuff they can get, they can find all that. If I had them in the room, I'd say, this is where you're going to end up. This is, you'll really want to understand this stuff. I don't know. Do you think we can teach that? Do you think you can fast track that? Or do you think coaches have got to go through a progression of figuring that out for themselves? Well, I think that's where at least some age and hopefully some wisdom helps out in that, you know, we can, if, I think if a young coach is open enough um, and, you know, and I'm not speaking about anybody in particular, just to, from my own terms as a young coach, let's say I was a little bit more humble as I was a young coach and didn't, didn't know I already knew everything until I realized I didn't know anything. Um, to be able to listen to people that have been through it, I think it's like anything else. Um, you can really help someone look out for the pitfalls and the things that are going to come um, and, and tell them how important it is that human connection, um, that, you know, to, to get someone to want to do something for you because they've chosen to do it and you've helped them find that path of importance. Um, I know, uh, Richard Schulberg had said one of his most important jobs as an age group coach was to, uh, develop the desire to train. And, and I, I use that all the time, that if the person doesn't have the desire to train in the sport, they'll find a way to hide effort. Um, and if you hide effort because you're not 100% committed to it, you're just not going to be as good as you can be. Um, and so the only way to develop the desire to train is to understand what makes that person want to do something better. Absolutely. Abs I was at a, a pool last Friday night. And, and one of the parents asked me a question about motivating kids. And I said, don't, 
understand them. Don't motivate them, understand them. And they'll tell you what motivates them. Then you provide the environment for them to express what's already inside of them. You can't grab a kid and say, you will go to the Olympics. You will break the world record. And that, that stuff doesn't work. We're, that's not the way we're wired. We're, the, the, the best way to help anyone go forward is to, is to sit and listen and understand what's driving them and then give them the opportunity to express that. And man, how many times, again, in the, the theme of what we're talking about today, how many times have we seen coaches and we've all tried it? You're going, I've got a group of swimmers. I've got my team there and I'm going to motivate them all. I'm going to tell them stories about, you know, Phelps or you're going to tell them and try and fire them up and excite them. You're only speaking to two or three people really because right. you're, you're, you're trying to impose your motivation and your passion on a group of people who are not all motivated the same way you are. Whereas the great coaches, they get to know their, their team. They, they love their team. They understand their team. They listen to them. They really care about them. And that's, I think why some of them, some of the great coaches that we both know have been so good for so long is it's relationship based. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's go on to the next one. Um, Technique beats everything every time. Now, I know people would look at that and say, you know, obviously desire to win, uh, the fight, the, you know, the internal motivation and all that. But the reality is, is there's a hydrodynamic load on a body as it goes through the water. And honing that to the point where you've maximized or minimized the hydrodynamic load um, of each individual, the people that do it the best are typically the ones that are going to win. There's, there's, you know, obviously there's people that are gifted from a physiological standpoint. So you look at Michael Phelps, you look at, um, you know, some of these great athletes, Magnuson, and it's just like, you look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, they are unbelievable uh, in just who they are. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that same size. There's a lot of people with those body types and they don't know how to swim. And so, um, you know, I think I like to, I like to go back to, I, I don't know if it's Rocky two or Rocky three when, uh, he's up in the mountains of, I think he's in Alaska and he's training in the snow and for the uh, Russian there. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the movie that they show him in a pool swimming and, you know, he, especially at the end of the movie, at the end of the training montage, he's completely ripped and he's doing laps of butterfly and, you know, the music's playing and everything's going. And I looked at that and I go, I know like 50, 10 year old girls that can destroy him <laughs> in a 25 fly. So it is, it is so much about technique. And I think I've said in here before, the only thing that I do to compete with my athletes that I train is I will see who can take the longest to take six strokes of breaststroke at a certain water speed, because the young kids don't know what the line is nearly as well as us old guys do, because our goal is to not work hard. And so just lay there, but it, it takes a lot of skill to lay there in the right, in the right way. So um, it is, it is developing the form and then training the motor into that form uh, is my philosophy on how you make someone great. And you can't, uh, I mean, you're, I, I, I consider you the, the leading technical expert that I've, I've ever seen in the sport. And, and if anybody knows this stuff, it's, it, it's you and, I say to coaches, you can't muscle the movement. You just can't do it. Mm -hmm. That one of the funniest things and most lucrative things that I ever get to do is sometimes a professional football team will ring me and say, we think we're going to introduce some swimming into our program to help with recovery so that there's not a constant overload on their joints <laughs> for running and doing all the things they do. So, I mean, these guys are ripped. They're powerful. They can lift three times their body weight in, in deadlifts. And I mean, these guys are really strong athletes. And you've just, you've got to stand there and grit your teeth and say, oh, this is terrible because they're used to trying to win everything by muscle, anything they can grab and push and that's their life. You put them in something where the resistance the water is going to give them isn't forgiving. It doesn't care how strong they are. It doesn't care how much money they make. It just says your shape and the way you are trying to get through is not helping. And you see these incredibly fit, young, powerful, tall two meter tall athletes who can't swim half a lap because yeah. they just haven't learned 
the 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 beautiful ease that a good technique gives you and uh, Laurie Lawrence one of our great influential coaches here over the years there's a great line he says if you can't swim you can't swim and it's <laughs> it's a should be on a t-shirt but that's yeah. that's technique if you if you don't have a good technique you just you can't swim I just had a lesson today and I said, it's been said for many years that swimming is the best full body workout for people. I said, that is typically true for people that don't know how to swim. <laughs> uh, it is so hard to get to the other <laughs> end. I was at the Olympic training center uh, working with, uh, I think the, uh, the Paralympic tri team and uh, a wrestling coach came in to the long course pool in Colorado Springs and brought, brought, six of his athletes and so these were six olympic wrestlers and i'm telling you i was scared to death that they weren't going to make it to the other end and he had them going like I, I think they had to do 200 and um and i went over and talked to him afterwards and i said you guys are incredible athletes and i love your bravery of just going through what you just went through because you put yourself into an environment that is completely foreign to you and you you did everything that you could instinctively to find your way down the pool. Uh, and, you know, I just I, I mean, I thought of myself going to their mat and then just trying to fight yeah. one of them. OK. Yeah. And it would just be ridiculous. I, I, they, they'd break me like a twig. But they went into this environment and you saw, like you said, you saw how foreign this was to them, how hard it was for them. And it's very scary. It's very scary if you don't know how to swim, but that's the ultimate, you know, from one side to the other. You were talking about some of the greatest swimmers of all time. Uh, and then you, and then you talk about people that don't know how to swim. So technique definitely wins in that. Um, so the next one is training equals competition equals training. What you accept in practice is what you will see on race day. Yeah. And look, one of the, uh, just a, a, a session I do with, swimming clubs and uh, coaching sessions is I say, look, the, the couple of golden rules of this business. One is to make training more challenging and more demanding than the competition you're targeting. So if you're aiming for a, a local meet, train to win a state meet. If you're going to a state meet, train mm -hmm. to be competitive at nationals. So see, Cause what a lot of people do is they think that there's a, a meat fairy that comes along as you walk in and you've got your new, uh, togs on your swimming costumes on you got your new goggles you know you've had your protein bar this morning your secret protein bar that mum ordered from amazon that guarantees a 17 percent improvement in performance you know you've got all these things happening and you're waiting for the meat fairy to sprinkle and all the stuff that you did in training like breathing inside the flags pushing off with your hands like this instead of streamline not kicking underwater finishing with your head up, all those things, it, that's all going to go because now you're at the meet and the magic happens. The experienced coaches go, no, 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 no. It's the other way. If anything, the, the discipline and the standards and the precision and the deliberate nature of practice is higher than meet expectations. And then you drop into the meet feeling pretty good and pretty confident. And if, if you know, our theme again, of if you knew that, if you understood that now, it'll be a completely different approach to meets because I think you, you almost believe that in the early days you go work hard, work hard, work hard, taper. And not too many of us have ever understood that. I think the high level, certainly not early on. And you go, when do we get to meet? It'll, everything will be right. You know, on the day, everything will come together. How it's, it's going to yeah. come together by some sort of miraculous external power. So of all the things I think for coaches is, if you want to want to know where your your brain will be in 20 years, I promise you, this will be one of the places you'll be, will be, I've just got to be more deliberate, more purposeful and set the standard, particularly of skills and technique in training at or above the standard of the meets that I'm targeting. I like to call it the lowest common denominator. It's like the worst thing that you've shown yourself in practice is probably what's going to come out when you die at the end of a race. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, you know, it is training your, your, the kinesthetic awareness, your central nervous system, the understanding of how you move through the water. And, um, you know, the, the exactness and precision um, that you should have in practice. Uh, 
will fall apart in anger. It will fall apart a little bit in in that action of basically the fight that is the race. And so if you um, if you continue to train with things that are suboptimal, then you're going to be in bad, bad shape when you uh, when you get into the race. Now, you know, people might think of this as saying, well, then, you know, what about these really tough short rest sets and things like that? You can still do all that stuff, but you have to have some sort of, in my opinion, there's got to be some sort of um, control mechanism, whether it's stroke rate or, or stroke count uh, per lap or, breathing or things like that. Or underwater, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to have your constants in there. And so, you know, a lot of people will, will take this up to, let's say, Leon Marchant, let's say ASU, all the pros that are down there. I think it's different, and, and we can't base everything on people that already have a lot of this stuff put together. And so when we look at the training of the pros and we look at the training of the, the most elite of the elite athletes, and we try to put that training onto people that are still developing their skills, I think it's a losing game. I don't, I don't know. And I mean, it, you know, of course, people are going to break through and they're still going to do it. But I'm just talking about the majority of people out there, the 95% of athletes that are never, we're never going to know their names unless you're their parents or their coaches. Uh, but we want them to have a successful career as well. Um, and, and success is simply doing better than you did before. Um, you know, but we do base things so much on, oh, well, you know, this Olympian does this and this Olympian does that. There's very few of those people. There's very few of them in the percentage of the whole the whole world. And so, um, if yeah, you, I, if, I mean. I think if you talk to great coaches who've missed opportunities and they they don't hurt for themselves, they hurt for the athletes. And, you know, two or three coaches that you've been big influences on me, the lines like, I mean, Sweetnam says things like, you know, every time you compromise, it bites you in a competition. And, you know, cause, and it's, it's right that he said, if you're, you're standing on the side and you watch someone breathe four times inside the flags, who's heading to nationals and you allow it to go, if you accept that, then you're in the stands, it's finals night at nationals. There's a world champs spot up for grabs or an Olympic spot. And you see them breathe four times from 10 meters out in and miss something that they've desperately wanted and deserve for 10 years, you sit there as a coach and go, my compromise has cost them what they truly wanted. My my inability or my lack of attention to detail to go and say, hey, come on, let's do it. You don't have to jump on them. It's just a matter of saying, hey, do you think you can do better on that one? Is there a way you could have made that faster? You just You still coach with engagement and all those things that we've talked about in the past. But if you stand on the side and you let it go constantly and then you see them, you know, someone you really care about miss an opportunity because you just let it go and you accepted mediocrity, then uh, you don't get over it. And sometimes it that's it, it breaks the swimmer's heart, breaks your heart. So, yeah, if, if you want success in competition, it's got to be a reflection of training and there is no meat fairy. Not unless you were doing a barbecue tomorrow, then you were hoping it's a different kind of meat. But yeah, good light. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. The next talent is overrated. Character counts. This is this is so. This is almost everything from a standpoint of honesty, integrity in your training. Um, you know, knowing whether you did a good job or whether you didn't do a, a good job. And and look, people aren't. You're not going to do a good job every day at anything. Um, so being honest with yourself rather than just saying, you know, and imagining that, uh, you know, look, there's a ton of talented people out there, a ton we have 8 billion people on the planet. Um, there's a lot of incredible people at, at doing many, many different things. So the character of what you bring to the training, like I said, I, I use the word integrity a lot, um, because you you have to have a certain amount of integrity to do the proper number of dolphin kicks under under you know under load. Um, you you do have to have integrity to know that this is a good stroke or this is a bad stroke. Things are falling apart or things are not. You have to have integrity to know that this is I'm supposed to be working this hard at this particular thing, and uh, when it's time to think about something else, I'll think about something else. But it's being involved in the moment all the time. 
Um, you know, whereas a lot of, you know, a lot of young swimmers, uh, if you give them a set of 10, 100s or something like that, all they're thinking of is, I wonder what's coming after this set mm. and how long is this going to take and what, how much is left. And so, um, you know, I, I believe character in training because I, I do think that, like you said, that the real work has to be done in training because there is no meat fairy, um, that the character of someone to be present in every moment of practice um, is probably one of the most important things in becoming a success as an athlete. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, I, I, there's a few lines I love about talent, which is talent, real talent's harder to hide than it is to find it. It's, it, it's, it's not, it's not a, an art form finding someone who's got talent. It's right in front of you usually. But I often say to the coaches, the number of, the number of athletes I'm, I meet who I would say that have knocked my socks off, you go, man, I cannot believe that. I've ne- Wow. You don't see too many. I and mean, Ian Thorpe a long time ago with us and um, Phelps when I saw him in, in training before Panpax here. And, and you know, every so often you go, man, that, that's, that's another world. But they're very rare. That's their outliers because they've got that package of unbelievable talent, great coaching, older and senior, experienced coaches leading them, supportive family, good technique. They've got the package. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're incredibly right about you. You never see them. You know, Marshawn and Dressel, they're so rare. And I think coaches think that the majority of the national team is super off the chart talented. and the majority of people I see in national teams are they've got an, a, a level of talent, obviously I wouldn't say they're unta- they've got to have some level of talent, but they get there because of who they are. They train harder. They want it more. They're passionate. They're focused on the things that matter. They get better sleep. They've, they've just committed to getting everything they possibly can out of their talent. The super talented ones are very, very rare. You only see a handful of them in your lifetime that you go, wow, man, that's the package. That's everything. And the beautiful thing about that to me, Glenn, is that it means that there's a far larger uh, pool, no pun intended, there's a far larger group of people who really have the potential to be on the Olympic team or to win or to be successful because talent is overrated and character and hard work and discipline and passion are underrated and yet everyone's capable of work and building those things. And, you know, I say to coaches, don't be concerned if you think the athletes don't have a, a, a stellar level of talent, invest in character and integrity and values, and they'll still get where they want to go. It's, it's way more important. I don't know if you uh, – do you have Amazon uh, video in Australia? We're pretty good here. We've just started we've, – we've just got hot water inside our houses. <laughs> And I just don't know, know where they are. No, no, we do. And, and um, I was swimming in the cement pond with Jethro a few weeks ago. And <laughs> so, mate, so we're, anyway, we're, you know, we're hoping to get electricity on here soon. And, and uh, yeah, that so and anyway, a friend, a friend anyway. of mine's got a color television. Yeah, a friend of mine has a color television. And you've never seen anything like it. You actually have television, but it's color. Like not black and have, white, man. We're we're going good here. Mo- do you have motors or pedals in your cars? So anyway, I don't know. I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. But look, there's a great movie that just came out called Air. It's about Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, and I just watched it the other night, and it was it was phenomenal from the idea of who he was in high school, who he was in college, and his parents knew and he knew his worth long-term, but nobody else did except, well, one guy, when you watch the movie, Um, but it was phenomenal to, he is an outlier, but he wasn't an outlier as a kid. Yeah. And so if you look at his work ethic, um, you know, as an athlete and his killer nature as a a competitor, um, this, all of this story happens before he showed who he was. And, um, you know, so he wasn't talented as a kid, but his character uh, from a standpoint of tremendous work ethic, I mean, there you go. Now, you know, probably the greatest ever. So, 
I'm I'm happy for you guys have finally started to catch up technologically wise. Okay, uh, so look we're, look, we're hoping one day, you know, we <laughs> we just we eat with sticks. We're hoping to get a knife and fork sooner or later. But you there's a lot of up a lot to get there's there. a lot of people that eat with sticks. So <laughs> be, be careful on that one. <laughs> okay. So all right. So learn something new every session, every day. Yeah, and I, I every morning I wake up and I there's a song that starts that way by um, Aretha Franklin. But I get up in the morning now. I made a decision to do a uh, a tweet every morning because I haven't even bothered for years. I I had about ten followers, and I thought, I wonder what would happen if I tweeted every day just one thing and, and all on things I'm interested in like coaching and performance and sport parenting and I've been very careful on who I follow so I follow people like Simon Sinek around you know the wise of understanding and uh some there's a, there's a couple of great uh, uh US philosophy uh, sites to talk about stoicism so owning the morning and embracing your fate so I'm interested in Robbins and some of those guys that come on and you know, I, I, I'm not going to get into the politics of Twitter. I that'd um, that'd be crazy. But <laughs> have, having not been on it for so long, and 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 not thinking very much of it, what I've learned is I sit here with a cup of coffee, and some of the great minds of the world are saying things like, you know, own the morning, and you go, what am I doing? I'm sitting here. Wayne, get up and go for a walk and listen to something else. Or there was. One I read the other day is, you know, there was it was a great line. Glenn had said, uh, said, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. And I went, that's that's what an interesting. Oh, okay. Well, I can't that's, that's change them, but that's I can great. change. I can change who I associate with for people yeah. who do inspire and I can learn from and so on. And it's made a big difference. Is just learning one simple tweet from a, a, a good source and, and great thinkers every day. And I'd forgotten that I wasn't doing that. I just wasn't being committed to trying to learn something. And it's such a stimulating way to start the day. So that's, and then, of course, what we do as human beings then, we collaborate and we share. So then I'll send that to two or three. Hey, this is a great line. What do you think about that? And it starts a, a learning circle where people are sharing their ideas on the same concept. and. You know, for coaches, this is the journey you're on. Every day, learn something. Pick a straight. Every Monday is butterfly. It's going to learn one butterfly uh, drill. Every Tuesday, I want to learn a fact about physiology. Every Wednesday, I'm going to do a 10-minute podcast somewhere on the psychology of adolescence and understanding the the incredible changes that they're going through psychologically emotionally socially and so on every thursday's freestyle day and friday is skills day i'm going to learn one new thing about starting every friday that's all it takes over a lifetime of coaching you start to figure it out but it's that daily commitment to learning that matters absolutely um you mentioned a 10-minute podcast. <laughs> it's, 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 not this one. it's not this one. Okay. So we're we're gonna work on that, everybody. We're we're talking about things. But um so Go Swim was when I started it, I started publishing uh videos online really, really early on, long, long time ago. I mean they were really they were like this big and they were they were you know, gifts. Uh, I mean, you, this was before video got there. And so I'd, I'd have still frames and pictures. The whole idea there was that as I was coaching, I, I wanted, I'm not, I'm not really an extrovert. Uh, and, and you had said today, you know, Oh, you know, you know so much about technique. I mean, I've got the whole imposter syndrome going on. Somebody asked me a question. I'm like, geez, I hope this is good. Uh, I don't know if what I'm going to say is good because, you know, you feel like you don't know anything. Um, but the idea of Go Swim was that I would put something out. I had to force myself to publish a drill every week. So if I didn't have something that I was proud enough that I discovered about an athlete or that I did in training with someone, if I didn't feel that I could publish something every week, I was doing a horrible job. 
And so just the act of sharing what I was doing, um, you know, it kind of puts you out there. Well, now everybody's doing it now, which is great. Okay, because we have to be brave with what we do. The bad thing about sharing these days is that you get people that don't know the whole story and then they say, well, you're wrong. Well, you got to there's a there's a you know, um, I, I posted a, a series of drills last week. And of course, somebody looks at the first one and they say, this is wrong. Well, look, it's a series of six drills that build on top of each other. And that's the problem with social media. And that is that, you, you, you know, you can't see the whole thing. Um but you still have to be brave enough to at least mention something. But you're, you're right. We have to force ourselves to learn something and falling into the trap of just being so busy that you're overwhelmed. Um, Rachel has two things that she says. One is, will what I'm worried about today matter 20 years from now? Okay. Yeah. So you really think about, okay, Incredible. will it matter 20 years from now? And the other is, and this is what one of the things she's taught me is, what can you do in five minutes that'll change your day? And this goes back to the make your bed, do the dishes, little things like that that keeps you organized. And, you know, we get so overwhelmed with things that we don't take five minutes to do something that would actually kind of change how you feel about your surroundings and where you are. Um, so learning and doing, I think, are, are very, very important. Yeah, so. Absolutely. And, and I find it becomes, it's almost like a, a virus without upsetting anyone about COVID, but it's, it, it, it I find yeah. that, you know, I've got a friend of mine, Richard, who's uh, a CEO of a national sport and I ring Richard and I'll say, man, I was just reading this thing about, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people. And he said, Oh, he said, oh, I got a story about that. There was a, uh, somebody I was working with in another state on an issue. And I went, man, I can't change this guys, but there was a bunch of other people who were really excited about it. So I put my time on that. So, Oh, that's, so you get, by sharing the learning, even if it's just a couple of lines, then someone will find a story. And you, and all of a sudden you've gone, man, what an incredible concept. I get it. I understand it. I can use it. And you get in that learning cycle and it's a lifelong commitment to just learning and getting better. And that's to me, the best coaches are the ones who are lifetime learners. Absolutely. Uh, what you say is important, but what you do is everything. Um, when, when we took our trip, the, um, the two worst words that I would hear from someone, uh, from a coach, uh, I'd be, I'd be, we'd visit and, um, they'd ask us our opinion on things and I would say something and they would say, I know. <laughs> and so, and in my mind, I'm saying, if you know, why don't you do? which then got me to the adoption of my favorite saying, especially to all the swimmers that come to the house, talk is cheap. Don't, don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you're going to do. I get so tired. And I, I guess now that you're, you're catching me tomorrow, uh, you're catching up, not as old, but the, as I get older, I just, I don't want to hear people talk. I want to see what they do. I've just, I've heard so much for so many years. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, you know, and some things take longer than others, but, uh, but do just do. And so the action of doing the action of building or, or just the action is so much better than hearing people go on about what they're going to do. And so talk is cheap. That's my, one of my favorite models. I'm going to get a t-shirt made out of it. <laughs> Put it next to oh, that could be in the front and then the back is if you can't swim, you can't swim. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that I've done over the years uh, professionally or I get invited in or when I've worked for different organizations is I do what I call a performance audit and audits, are, you know, it's always a scary word because you think about inland revenue or the, the tax office yeah. or those guys. And, but I do a performance audit and I walk into a pool and you'll go, Okay, the swimmers were late. The pace clocks weren't aligned. The swimmers had to get into the pool late because they didn't have all their gear. Most swimmers don't have a water bottle. Um, coach is saying we're starting right on there. Most swimmers are not starting with a race quality dive. Half of them are walking the last five meters into the wall instead of finishing on the wall. Okay, I've got a pretty good idea what I'm dealing with. You go over to the coach and say, let's talk about performance. Yeah, we do all that stuff. Yeah, we're doing all that. And they're not. And is it the coach is busy and stressed? Well, yeah, probably that could be the case, but 
if if they've they've got a team in this and they do the old we're going to be better we're going to go to nationals we're going to be a strong team that's great every single football team soccer team hockey team swimming team says that at the beginning of the season but the ones who make it are the ones who do it they live it and that great line from my, my father is dad used to say knowing and not doing is the same as not knowing it, it, it's the same outcome mm-hmm. exactly the same outcome and yeah, the, yeah I, look i'm with you the number of times i've been to uh, i don't know how many thousands of pools and you, your coach will say hey i want you to come in and have a look and tell me what you think and you know you're invited in and say i want to help this coach get better because they're keen to learn and you say yeah look i've just noticed all the kids are up uh, they breathe on their first stroke and free and fly they don't explode to the surface um you know they don't come to the middle of the pool to turn swimming's a straight line sport all that sort of stuff yeah we do all that stuff yeah we we do all that yeah i know that yeah i do that but they don't and then they wonder why they don't get the consistent results that they're really looking for it's because as you say talk is cheap that was the, the one of the things that i said uh i i spoke at the ASCA conference after uh, after our trip and uh, someone asked, what would my advice to most teams be? And I said, add five seconds to every interval and demand performance, demand technical yeah. performance. So demand the number of dolphin kicks off the wall. We keep trying to push the intervals down to make the swimmers faster. Give them a little bit more time, but demand that they do things yes, right. Yes, I agree. And, and, and then eventually that fast interval will be faster than what they would potentially be when they're doing things wrong. But again, that means you got to step back for a minute. And then that means it goes back to this one, uh, not just for athletes, but for coaches. Character counts. Okay, the character is to demand that they do what you've told them they should do, and don't let them get away with it. That's those good ones that uh, um, you know. If you don't do it right, we're starting the set over again. And, and, and this is, but this, you know what, Glenn? It's a good point. I think is is we're in an environment where saying something like oh, i'm a tough coach is something that really intimidates and people go i don't we don't yeah. want tough coaching we want coaches who are inclusive who embrace everybody who listen i, I think there's a, a misunderstanding a tough coach isn't someone who stands on the side and says do it again do it again do it again go fast a tough coach is someone who stays really calm who loves the kids and says hey guys i think we can do better why because i want you to be all you can be and guys, we know that eight kicks in three seconds off a wall and a tight streamline exploding to the surface is going to help us win races. So who thinks we should do it again and practice the things that are going to make us better? Yes, coach. Great idea. That's a tough coach because what they're saying is I'm not going to compromise on the standards of right. technique and skill that I know will help my team be all they choose to be. Anyone can stand there and scream and yell. And it's the sports, that's 20 years ago. We don't do that stuff anymore. A tough coach says, I will not compromise on the standards of skill that I will demand from my team because I care about them so much that I want them to be successful. I want them to be and achieve all the goals that they want to. I don't need to yell. I don't need to scream. I don't need to get histrionics. I don't need to do anything other then not compromise on the standards that I know will make them better. And you can do that sitting down, relaxing, having a coffee and a cigar if you feel like it. You don't need – tough coaching doesn't mean aggressive, doesn't mean angry, doesn't mean loud, doesn't mean forceful. It means not compromising on standards that you know will help them be all they can be. The only thing you want to see at the end of a season, at the end of a race, is a kid smile. And yeah. the only way that's going to happen is if they're successful. And the only way yeah. they're going to be successful is if they learn all the skills that they need to learn in order to like, let that happen. And so, like you said, a tough coach is one that simply demands that they do what they need to do to smile at the end of the season. Oh, great line. That should be in a T-shirt, but it needs a much what bigger it? T-shirt. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger T-shirt for sure. <laughs> so... Ask questions of experienced coaches. We stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, this one I've loved for a long time. I was working for Swimming Australia. I know it's an old guy story, but uh, I'm an old guy. Uh, but in 19, we were getting ready for the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. And I was working for Swimming Australia. And Don Talbot, our coach at the time, he said, oh, I've heard a bit about this pre-cooling thing. He said, I've, I've read something somewhere that when we go to Atlanta, it's going to be humid. 
and we were in Athens, Georgia in, as a preparation camp and we're getting used to it. But he said, what I want to do, he said, there's, uh, I want to look into this. How do we keep the athletes cool in between races in a humid environment? So again, this is, you know, 90, end of 94, 95, we're doing this research. And the Institute of Sport came up with these jackets in partnership with Nike that you put on an ice vest and they'd keep the body cool. And now my go-to old guy, my giant that I was able to go to was Forbes Carlisle, one of the, the, the greatest ever for us and, and big influence on world swimming. So I rang Forbes. I was really excited. And I said, hey, Forbes, we've got this pre-cooling and we've designed these vests. And he said, have you got a fax machine, Wayne? I said, yeah. He said, go and stand near the fax machine. Now he sends me an article from the Sydney newspapers from 1958. And it says, Carlisle freezes kids. And they showed <laughs> Forbes at the North Sydney Olympic pool with a bathtub full of cold water. And his idea was in 1958, 40 years before where we were almost, his idea was that in hot climates, the kids were spending too much time trying to be cool. All that blood flow was on the surface of their skin. By getting in cold water, it, it decreased the peripheral need for blood flow and gave more to working muscles in their lungs, and they'd swim faster. So Carlisle had them on deck in 58, plunging, getting on the blocks and going. And I just sat there and thought, Wayne, what are you doing? These guys have got generations of learning and you didn't even mm. ask. You, you're so concerned with your own ego and coming up, being the person coming up with the new stuff. You forgot that that greater minds and more brilliant people have gone before and you didn't even tap into it. And that was an incredible lesson to then go to the coaches who were around in the 50s and 60s and 70s who trained Olympians and had discovered a lot of things albeit without the same level of technology, that was the only thing they really lacked. And I went, you dummy, you know, you had mm. thousands of years of expertise. You just didn't ask. And coaches, find a mentor, find a group of senior coaches, find one coach who was successful in the 80s. Just get out and find a giant and stand on their shoulders. Learn from them. It's the greatest way to learn. And so many of them are so welcoming as well. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, I, I mean, my, my forming of, uh, you know, kind of where I am today. I mean, I go all the way back uh, to who I was exposed to as an athlete. Um, Danny Persley used to take us over to Bloomington and Doc Councilman would mm -hmm. film us and, and talk to us. Um, Ernie McGlishko, I was in one of his stroke films and in, in one of his books. And so I got to learn a lot about my stroke from here, you know, two of the absolute fathers and grandfathers of, of you know, technique and swimming. And then um, Coach Gambrell and Shanti Skinner and, uh, you know, just these amazing, amazing coaches uh, who formed a lot of the philosophy on, you know, how to do things. Um, and it, it, you know, like you said, I wish I would have milked them for more knowledge. Uh, but I was very young and, and um, you know, just didn't realize what I had. And so sometimes when, you know, greatness is right next to you, you don't recognize it because it's too accessible. Um, but like you said, I mean, I don't know of anybody who's asked to go to University of Texas and watch a practice for Eddie to say no. Mm. And so the idea that you would have access to that, if you, I mean, I don't want to, you know, have a thousand people calling up to Eddie and saying, you know, I, you know, I want to come to practice. Uh, but it, he, like I said, most of these coaches are very, very open and will share as much as possible. And so take advantage of it. If you have, like, like you said, if you got somebody close by that you really respect, go spend some time with them. Um, it's, it's absolutely huge. Uh, technique is not a one size fits all. And, um, being a teacher and seeing so many different people, um, I do tell a lot of them that the, the way that I will approach helping them will probably be different than the way I approach somebody else, uh, based on so many different factors. Um, and I do tell people that go swim is the antithesis 
of the uh, of the video that's on YouTube that says five steps to the perfect tree cell. Um, <laughs> for who? I have no idea who you're talking about. And so um, really what I've tried to, my quest is, is, has always been to be as close as possible to the best answer for the person that's in front of me. And, uh, and it's, it's taken years and years of experience and a lot of failure and a lot of searching to figure out what the answer is for that person, because it's different for everybody. Um, and that's why when I do, if we do post something on social media and somebody says it's wrong, I, I don't respond because it just drives me crazy to go down a rabbit hole with someone that um, maybe doesn't understand the process or can't comprehend that there's a process different than the one that they know. Um, and even the swimmers that come here, I say, what I say will not not necessarily be the truth or your your path. We're trying everything possible. So you have to listen and decide for yourself what is going to be the best way. But if it was easy, I mean, I know I'd be out of business. Yeah. And I, look, I couldn't agree more with the social media stuff that you'll see it. And, and I mean, you must have been tempted over the years to have just gone, this is the Mills way. Or this is the Mills technique. Um, I, for a, a mutual friend and I uh, yesterday were discussing you and we said, why haven't you oh, come no. up with a series called drills with mills you may have already thought about that another t-shirt but uh but yeah look you're right i see stuff and you know with hundreds of thousands of hits and it goes things you're doing wrong in freestyling oh yeah well that's what that swimmer's doing wrong and yeah. and oh yeah I, I, every so often you'll be critical so you know again look at that that what to coach how to coach why to coach sometimes i get asked um uh you know what is a drill that you wouldn't do i said oh i don't like catch up freestyle and i said why they say why i said well because what a lot of people do is they do it really badly is they have a hand out in front. They put the other hand on top. They take that hand away. Their body position is flat. It disrupts their flow. They're not kicking well enough. There's a whole range of things. So uh, no, it doesn't work for everybody, but it probably works for somebody who's got that specific issue. If you just say to everybody, it's one, one arm freestyle, catch up freestyle, uh, chicken wing drill, and then you swim like Michael Phelps. That's delusional. That that does that one step, one way, one process is at the most rudimentary, basic adult learn to swim works just to help them get to the other end of the pool, but it's not going to make you swim fast. Yeah, as far as the drills with Mills thing, that is uh, never going to happen because <laughs> I don't want. <laughs> I'm already insecure enough just posting the stuff that I post. I'm not putting my name on it. What about <laughs> thrills mean, with Mills? We got thrills go. with Mills and, and pain with, with Wayne. Mills. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. See, we're going to have so many T-shirts by the time this thing is over. It's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> We've got a merchandise line coming up. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, getting towards the end. The practice from the Stoics. The problem is the way forward. Learn to embrace problems, difficulties, and challenges. They are usually presenting you with the greatest learning opportunities you can imagine. Yeah, and no, I just I've been reading a, a bit from Ryan Halliday and a couple of others on stoicism, and I, I thought, yeah, I think we we've embraced that very well. Is a lot of coaches get worried and stress out about problems, but quite often the problem is there. It's going to make you better because you're going to go, mm. I don't understand why that kid's hips keep dropping in, in butterfly. I can't get it. So then what does it do? It makes you focus. It makes you think. It makes you experiment. You have to become more inquisitive. So the problem has given you the path forward and that makes you better because the greatest form of learning is problem solving. When, you, when you've got to solve a problem in the context that you're in, Everything you've got is focused on. How do I do that? There must be a way of doing that. Oh, look at Go Swim TV. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah they've sort of, Glenn's all sort of got it. I'll go and talk to a mentor coach. Yeah, that's good. I'll go on YouTube and look at a video of Marshawn. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and you figure it out and you go, oh, I got it. So the problem is the thing that stimulated you to learn and yeah. learning makes you better. And it, it just hit me when I've been reading some of these things in the, in the last few months. But that's that's the way that coaches work. They learn by solving problems 
to help athletes get better. And the problem is the thing that's making them better. It's not the obstacle. It's not the, it's not the brick wall. It's the thing that's the most inspirational tool to want to accelerate their learning. Yeah. It was, so that I thought I'd throw that one into the group is get excited about problems and difficulties and kids who can't swim fast because that's the thing that's going to make you better and them better. I, I use that, uh, I would say probably six to eight times a week is I, I say, I'm going to give you a task. Don't think that you're swimming. This is a task. And I want you to solve the problem. So you have to think, how do I do this? One of my favorite ones is when people are pulling too big in breaststroke, going too far back, doesn't work with their stroke. Um, and so I tell them they have to take five strokes with their eyes down at the bottom and they're not allowed to bend their elbows. Okay. And so you watch their head and they, I said, I can tell you how to do it, but I want to see how you solve the problem. And when people take their arms and they go all the way back and they try to figure out how to get them up front, I said, you, you are trying to solve the problem through power. Yet this, I told you, don't swim, solve the problem. It's simply taking the arms and going out and using the wrists around the corner. I can never do this in the mirror, you know, but just taking the wrists around the corner and it's starting to minimize the seeking of power and starting to look at other ways to attack a problem. So problem solving is one of those things. And again, I have to be careful how I say these things because uh, I do work with uh, quite a number of Paralympic athletes. And when someone comes in and they don't have a leg, you pretty much know what the issue is. I think all of us have something that's wrong with us when we get in the water. And what we have to do as teachers, it's not evident. It's not, it's not out there as much as it is with a Paralympic athlete, but we have to figure out and help that person figure out what their problem is, what their issue is that they have to then solve the problem and overcome that. And that's the, that's, kind of the the most fun part of what we do you know if we didn't have those then guess what chat gpt is going to be right in everybody's practice and they don't need us anymore you know so yeah i love yeah, that true very true that's you know if you think of every time you've learned it's generally been i've got to figure out a solution it's problem problem solving is such a powerful tool if that's the case and I, I hope a lot of people listening believe that then every time a problem comes up instead of getting stressed about it go this is an opportunity for me to get better because if i solve this even in the act of trying to solve it you're going to have to learn you're going to look outside what you know you'll be experimenting and playing with ideas and 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 find and then that is the problem is the thing that's going to make you better and uh, embrace problems when they come up you'll learn to love a little bit of difficulty and adversity because that's the thing that's going to make you great. Absolutely. And finally, don't take it too seriously, even at the highest level. Um, It's, I love it. It's about fun. If they're not enjoying what they're doing, you're doing it wrong. And it's so, you know, we, we look at, the intensity and the focus and you, you got to bring them into the thing. You've got to convince them that this is, this is not only good for them, but you don't have to do it like a, like a jerk. You can actually, like you said before, you're doing these things so that they can be better. So the way that they're going to be better is that um, they're going to enjoy what they're doing and they're going to want to be there. They're going to want to do it. Um, and it is so absolutely important that it is fun. Dave Denniston wrote the first article, I think, ever for Go Swim. This is 20-some years ago, and it's called Mona Lisa Practices, and I, I should try to dig it up again. And the idea is that if you're, if you're writing a practice and you're bored writing the practice, it's going to be 10 times worth, worse for the <laughs> athlete doing the practice. <laughs> so, so. Um, he was wonderful at that. And in, in, I had a great opportunity. 2019, I was in England and I went out to dinner with a Premier League coach. So from one of the, the Premier League, and I, I, we started talking about money in sport. And he said, Wayne, I'll tell you a secret. And he said, all these guys, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal. And he said, I'll tell you a secret. 
they do it for nothing. He said, he said, don't tell anyone, but so please ignore the fact that I just raised that on a podcast. But he said, he said, in all honesty, I'd very rarely meet a player who says I'm here to make money as much as I can. They fall into that trap because of agents and sponsors and TV. He said, that's them being human. But he said, the truth is they do it for nothing because they just love having a football at their feet and playing a game with their friends. And he said, yeah. that's, he said, I've worked with some of the best football players in the world who are getting paid $300,000, $400,000 a week. And he said, in the end, they're just little boys who like having the football on their feet and playing with their mates. And I, I think that's what I see, you know, I, you know, that reunion that you had last year with the 80 Olympic team. I don't think I've seen a group of people laugh so much in my life, even before <laughs> any alcohol was consumed. It was just a bunch of people who loved each other. And, yeah. and I didn't hear anyone talk about grinding out sets and hard and sore shoulders. It was all, you were telling stories and laughing and just enjoying each other's company. And ultimately that's what keeps people in the sport. It, it's, we get so overwhelmed and focused on, you know, sets and reps and repeats and taper cycles and gym work. But in the end, if you're having a great time and that is another t-shirt saying that one I like, which is if you love what you do, you'll do what you love. And if they're having a great time, they keep coming back. That's got to be really what it's all about. Just enjoy it. Don't take it too seriously. One of, one of my best memories of the sport, Jay Fitzgerald was coaching in Cincinnati very hard, very hard training. Um, and my, uh, the guy I was sharing uh, an apartment with for the summer, his name was Glenn Mango. He finaled in the Olympic trials in 1984 as well. So we were training partners. We got in a traffic jam. We were late for practice. And oh, we know we, we weren't allowed to show up late. You just didn't show up. We wanted to be there. You know, it would be worse punishment for us to have to miss practice than for us to walk in late. And so the whole way there, we knew we were going to be about like five, 10 minutes late. There was nothing we could do. And um, um, we tried to figure out how can we overcome how mad Jay is going to be when we walk in. And then we're going to have to talk for 30 minutes about our commitment level and all this stuff. <laughs> and we were committed. It's just, you know, we're going to have to listen to Perfect. the lecture. And so what we decided to do was we threw the doors open. And we ran in fully clothed, dove in, and started doing the workout with all our clothes on. And he he finally comes over, and you see this smirk on his face. He says, "Get your suits on, let's go." That was it. So we, and, and you know, we just we tried to kill it with you know, if we would have gone for the conversation, like I said, it would have been a half hour talking about you know all this stuff. And we're the look, we got one shot at this. Let's give it a shot. And it was fun. And then he beat the, you know, what out of us in the, in the workout, but that's what we wanted. You know, we wanted to be there. So uh, I want people, I want kids to want to be to practice. I want them to want to work hard because they're with their friends and, and they, they love their coach and they appreciate everything that's going on. And so it is the environment and the character and everything that we've, you know, I, you know, the first one, learn how to build relationships with humans. Uh, it, it's, it's, everything because eventually you don't swim anymore and but you're going to remember all of those great times and so yeah that's that's great yeah why do we do so, anything why do we do anything because we enjoy it you know i've got i'm a terrible guitar player but i've got my guitar set up behind me and big john denver fan so i'm practicing a couple of john denver songs at the moment and I don't care that I've got an awful voice and I'm a good, terrible guitar player. Man, I just love it. I seriously just sit here and have a great time and a glass of red wine some nights. And the, just the joy of doing something, no matter how how uh, poorly I do, I don't care. I do it because I love it. I don't. I, it's not about being judged or recorded or making money. And you know, and then I, I I watched a special on Netflix about Ed Sheeran. And you have uh, Netflix over there. Yeah, yeah, we do. well, okay, okay. we've got what we're okay. going to do outside is that we've got someone <laughs> cranking to keep the power on for us. <laughs> but uh, there's a great, a great Netflix series by Net, uh, Ed Sheeran, and you know this guy's playing in front of a hundred thousand people by himself. But he's there's this moment where he's in a bar, 
and he just he can see someone's up there playing a guitar and he says he said this is what it's all about he said i wonder i wonder if they'd let me on stage and play with them i mean this is one of the most famous and wealthy performers in the world and he's walking up and he said he said look i just love playing guitar and i, I thought that's that's it is that yeah. there's a guy he doesn't have to do it he could be getting a massage and you know, he'd be drinking out of diamond glasses and anything, but he's gone, I'm in a little bar and that love and enjoyment and not taking myself too seriously. And he, he said uh, that he hires some of his old friends from school to tour with him. And he said, it's not me being generous. I have so much fun with them when I come off stage. It makes everything worthwhile. He said, I'm here doing a really serious thing. It's a big business. I come off and there's a bunch of guys I went to school with. We had a few beers. We shoot pearl. And he said, and I have a great time just hanging out with them. And they remind me who I am, that I'm just a guy who likes playing yeah. music. And I, look, I, that's to me, this is one of the most important things is just don't take it too seriously. Love every day. Have a good time. Yeah. Well, have a happy birthday tomorrow. Thank um, you. I know that we've got, uh, we had something else in mind for this, uh, this one. And, and when we finish that up, everybody will understand why. Um, but, uh, we're going to keep this going and, um, thank you everybody. Where's my thumb? All right. And you keep, you know, fighting your way through life in Australia, Wayne. I know that I, <laughs> you're my hero. Look, I've got a friend of mine, right? He's got a tap where the hot water and the cold water come out of the what? same faucet. Like, oh it, I, like I, I, I promise you. <laughs> and then I went to the, I went to the moving pictures last week. And they had sound. Like we've actually got talking pictures now. We've got talkies. I think oh, I think man. the funniest thing the funniest thing you said was the cement pond, because that's one of my all-time go-tos is when Jethro talks about uh, working on his gazintas. Do you remember that? See the Beverly if you, Hill- if, if you don't know what gazintas is, I'm not gonna explain it. You're gonna have to go look it up. Yes, so, that's the thing. For the Beverly Hillbillies, for us, is in their first season. It's just come out. <laughs> Still in black and white <laughs> with subtitles. Oh, man. <laughs> too funny. Happy birthday, Wayne. Have, Thank have you, my a friend. great time see you soon. tomorrow. All right. See you soon.